0: We'll
1: You can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
2: The John Frickin' Mearpod is stoked to partner with Garage Grown Gear for Season 6 of the podcast. Garage Grown Gear, or GGG for short, is your online store for all things ultralight backpacking. Dedicated to supporting the growth of small and cottage brands, they've got everything you need all in one place. From ultralight accessories to dehydrated meals to your big three, garage-grown gear has everything you need to lighten your load. Based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, GGG is known for its commitment to providing quality ultralight gear, stellar customer service, and free shipping and returns over $40. Do yourself a favor and get your gear at GGG. Remember that life's big changes rarely give advance warning. H. Jackson Brown Jr.
3: My boyfriend, Will, was on the phone on the, like, speaker thing, and I was talking to him. He was having uh, Christmas in Memphis. And all of a sudden, just, like, in this straight line, my rear wheels just slid and went sideways, and I started just, like, fish-channeling at, like, 45 miles an hour on this highway. And I was very much, like, in the other lane. And, and the oncoming car swerved into my lane to try to avoid me as I'm coming straight at them. And then my car just slid completely out of control back into the other lane. In mid-spin, they T-boned me going about 55 miles an hour in my driver's side door. And somehow, I never lost consciousness. And I came to a stop and opened my eyes and felt this burning sensation in my pelvis. And I couldn't feel my legs.
2: I'm Doc. And this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, is this thing on?
0: Hello? Hit it again. I think it's on now. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, where each week, Doc will drag some colorful characters out of the woods to talk trail and type 2 fun. If you're aspiring hiker trash, or if you're just looking to understand the hiker trash in your life, look no further. So lace up those boots, gnaw on some jerky, and settle into your 20-mile pace as we fire up the podcast from somewhere deep in the backcountry. It's time to
2: embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags, hiker trash, and of course, good smelling day hikers. I'm Doc, and this is Hiker Trash Radio. Hey, if you like what we're doing here, help us out. Take just a minute, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what we're doing, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. (laughs) All right, let's get to this week's guest. Now, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you have heard me say that the outdoor adventure tree has many branches, and we have talked to all kinds of people doing all kinds of stuff out there. We've talked to through hikers, big wall climbers, squirrel suit flyers, Barkley competitors, adventure racers, kayakers, and a whole bunch more. Well, this week we are talking to our first backcountry mountain biker. Welcome to Hiker Trash Radio, Endurance Athlete and World Champion, Kate Boyle. How's it going, Kate?
3: Hey, thanks for having me. It's going great. And wow, just that list of adventure people is very impressive. suit. that stuck with me.
2: (laughs) Everybody's got a story. And sometimes the story takes place in the outdoors where they're having these adventures. And sometimes the story is the person and how that person got to that point. Um, It's all very fascinating. And I just, I'd love talking to the wide variety of folks we have on here.
3: Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I'm psyched to chat.
2: Absolutely. Now you seem to be set up in an interesting room. If you're not watching (laughs) this on YouTube, uh, you might want to check it out. Can you, can you let us know where you're calling in from?
3: Yeah, uh, to my right is my dresser, and to the left is my, are my husband's clothes, and so I'm sitting in our closet because we live in a one-room studio, and it's currently the evening, and so he's home from work, we dog-sitting, and we have a dog, so there's a lot going out on in the one room that there is, so I'm in the micro room. Nice. Thank you for calling in from
2: the closet. That's awesome. <laughs> now, typically on Hiker Trash Radio, we, we typically go by trail names. And that is that unique American long trail tradition of assigning a name, a nickname to somebody out there based on maybe something that happens on the trail. Maybe it's a, a peculiar personality trait. Maybe it's based on where you're from. Uh, mm-hmm. Any such tradition in the bike backcountry mountain biking community?
3: Uh, there isn't that i know of so in the more like bike pack style racing with where track leaders um uses spot uh gps devices to track us online we get these little bubbles with our initials and so i think the closest thing would be like the kb dot or you know some Lyle wilcox would be the lw doc or dot and hefe just recently was the jb dot so I think maybe that's how we think of each other, but we don't have quite the uh, creative and long lasting uh, tradition that you all have. Got it.
2: So, is it okay to refer to you as KB or do I have to include the dot in there as well?
3: <laughs> we can go with KB. Yeah. And do you know
2: Lale Wilcox? I do. Yeah. Yeah. She was on the podcast and it's in its oh, previous nice. iteration when we were the John Fricky Mirror She came on, told a lot of great stories. Really, yeah. really impressive
3: athlete. Totally. Yeah. We've had some good times racing each other, riding together, that sort of thing. So,
2: my mom, uh, here, here, here for uh, known as Doc's mom on the podcast. <laughs> my mom, after listening to that episode, she tried to get in touch with Reese Witherspoon with oh. her production company to try and get my mom has no Hollywood connections, but she thought she'd just <laughs> cry because after listening to that episode, she's like, this is a movie that needs to happen and Reese Witherspoon could play her. Oh, that's
3: so. amazing. <laughs> <sighs> oh, so good. <laughs> Reese Witherspoon will just play all the endurance uh, activity people. <laughs> that's,
2: right. that's right. Now, to my knowledge, she, she never got a response, but, you know, there you have Okay. Well,
3: greasy, uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease. That's what they say.
2: That's right. All right. KB, have you listened to the podcast before?
3: I haven't. I'm excited to uh, now go back and listen to the squirrel suit person, uh, Big Wall Climber. And probably go from there. Kayaking. Yeah. Sounds awesome.
2: You know, I love it when I have guests on the podcast who have, have not listened to it. You, you don't know what you're getting into. So this is yeah. this is going to be a lot of fun.
3: Yeah. I think I try to do this with podcasts where like I like to go back and start to follow the show afterwards. But I, I want this to be a full new experience for me. And so far, I'm very excited because I mean, I already feel like I'm in the Sierra just looking at you.
2: <laughs> a fresh take, fresh perspective. Here we go. All right. Hey, I only asked if you listen to the podcast, because I want to make sure that you know about a segment we have towards the end of the episode called the hiking hack. And that's okay. where you will have a chance. It's not really hiking hack in your case. It's called hiking hack, but in your case, if you could uh, impart some outdoor adventure wisdom to our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better.
3: Okay. Uh, right? Absolutely.
2: Don't yeah. give it up too early. If, if, no, if, you, if you have something in mind and you, 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 you speak it halfway into the episode you're still going to be on the hook at the end.
3: Okay. Sounds okay. great. All right. Trailblazers Toolkit.
2: That's right. It's time for the Trailblazers Toolkit, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. Now, KB, I love to talk about gear on the podcast, and I love to hear about the most important item in my guest adventure gear. So mm. if you're preparing for your next adventure, and I was the one providing you with all your gear, What is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? Make sure to give me all the specifics on that piece of gear and tell me why you've got to have it out there. And this can be any type of gear, um, any type of item. It could be gear, apparel, luxury item. So Kate, what is that item in your toolkit?
3: Okay, so super basic. The one thing that, so as cyclists, we for helmets, or helmets, at least the smart ones do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but I always bring a ball cap because I like to I think that a good trip involves getting off your bike and sitting on in a beautiful place to have lunch, take a nap, go swimming. And as someone who is also fair skinned, I burn easily. And so that's not a normal thing to bring bike packing, but I do always bring a like visor type hat, trucker hat on multi day trips. But then the thing that comes to mind is actually That's most important is a sleeping bag that's warm enough. And I think probably similar to through hiking, bike packers think a lot about weight um, in their kit and on a bike where you can fit things like a sleeping bag is one of the more bulky items. And it's an easy place to cut corners as far as getting your kit down smaller and tighter and lighter, which is super valuable. But I think that we also like we need to have good sleep in order to recover well and to be happy the next day. And so having a sleeping bag that's actually warm enough for the conditions that I'm riding in um, would be the thing that I prioritize the most. And so the two that I, well, I I do a lot in the winter too. So I have a fleet of sleeping bags. The summer ones that are my favorites. Um, I have at this point a kind of old Western Mountaineering 35 degree bag. And I don't even remember the model. Sorry not sponsored by them well it's okay it's purple uh it's great and then the
2: purple bag got it the
3: purple yeah (laughs) you'll it's probably still purple knowing them so (laughs) the purple one um plum really and then patagonia also makes a more like a 30 degree that feels warmer it's a little bigger but it's actually um pairs really well with like a down jacket and then that gets me through the more slightly below freezing temperatures. Got so it. Those got are it. the two I bring for packing.
2: Good choices. Now you mentioned the importance of that helmet. Have you ever been in an accident where you have uh, really needed that helmet?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think I've luckily knock on wood, not had any traumatic brain injuries or concussions from biking. I've definitely hit my head though. Um, and I've had like little dents on my helmet and, You know, just those moments where you're like, oh, wow, that was kind of intense. Um, So nothing serious. Thank goodness. Better to have the
2: the dents on the helmet than on your head. Oh, totally. Yeah. It it makes wearing a hat more difficult.
3: Yeah, totally. So the hats for when not riding.
2: Got it. Got it.
1: It's the hiking pole.
2: All right. It's time for the hiking pole. And that is pole with two L's not like the things that hikers carry in their hands this is a uh, a survey a seven question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from 1 to 100 <laughs> with 100, 1 being completely insane and 100 being completely sane now i have i have a set of questions here seven questions that are related to hiking do you have much hiking experience kb
3: i do yes
2: okay so you feel comfortable weighing in on these these questions here?
3: Yeah, sure. I, uh, for a long time, worked for Knowles and Prescott College and Outward Bound teaching backpacking. Okay. So I haven't done any like, much personal really long trips, but yeah, a lot of walking in my life.
2: Now, so, so when I talk to the squirrel suit flyers and the other folks that don't, don't do a, a lot of hiking, uh, I do have a second set of questions that wrestle with some of our big questions in society today. So I always have those in reserve, but knowing that you are a, a former backpacker, uh, enjoy hiking. I will, I'll ask you the, the the questions from the first set. Okay. All right. So if, if you, if we were to open up the closet and uh, call out to your husband, we're not going to, but if we were and uh, call out to him and, and ask him where he would score you on the sanity scale, you think he'd give you a low score or a high score?
3: Well, does a high score make you sane or insane?
2: High score, the, the higher the score, the saner you are.
3: Okay. Uh. Well, he likes to say I'm a critical thinker that I think would contribute to the uh, sanity. But I think that he thinks my general approach to movement and being outside is more on the insane score.
2: Okay. Is he also a uh, a, a biker?
3: Yeah. So I would give him a more insane score because he is a whitewater kayaker like he paddles class five rivers which is incredibly more dangerous and uh insane than mountain biking in my opinion so but yeah, yeah I think it's more the like endurance having a history of like riding all night without sleeping not wearing a chamois not carrying very much that sort of thing that but-
2: got it both sports require <laughs> helmets hmm? both sports require helmets
3: That's true. Yes.
2: But (laughs) if your, if your bike goes upside down, you just, you just get back up again. But kayak, I mean, that, uh, that freaks me out a little bit, you know, being underwater in some kind of rapid uh, situation where it's tough to flip the boat back over. I mean, that's, that's a little scary.
3: That's exactly why I don't. And it also mountain biking, you can stop your bike and get off it.
2: That's right. The road is not moving. The road is not moving you down the, down the hill.
3: Exactly. Kayaks, you're in a moving river. Got it. It's not stopping.
2: All right. So you would give him a a, a score on the lower side.
3: Yeah. I think we probably would give each other an equal score. And it's hard to having not listened to what other people's scores are. I don't know, maybe around the like two or three.
2: Okay. Now anybody you should know, anybody that has participated in the 24 hours of old Pueblo, that's an automatic 25 point deduction. So your, your <laughs> highest possible score is 25, uh, 75. Sorry.
3: Okay. okay. Reasonable. Oh, it's I see. Okay.
2: Yeah.
3: And is that for each time you do it as well?
2: <laughs> you better hope not.
3: <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. All right. These are the, the hiking related questions in the hiking pool. Question number one, start out easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles?
3: Generally, no. Oh,
2: yeah. Let me let me note that down here. <laughs> right.
3: Grand Canyon, yes, you know, like uh-huh. it's deep as shit, but generally no.
2: Okay, now KB, this is not a rapid fire instant response. I like to, I like to hear the explanation behind uh, your answer. Okay. It helps me with my algorithm in coming up with your your score.
3: Okay, um, I think the no reason would be that my. I mean, my hands like moving around. I also like moving in terrain. I think the reason I don't like trekking poles is the places that I like to backpack are places that I can't take a mountain bike. And so they're generally like more scrambly or require like a hand here and there or like or have really uneven grounds. And I'm not skilled enough with the trekking poles for them to not just not feel clumsy.
2: Got it. Yeah. Okay. Question number two, when you're hiking, what's on your feet? Boots or trail runners? Trail runners. And do you have a specific uh, brand that you prefer? And, and why trail runners and not boots?
3: Uh, the two brand. well, the reason not boots is, and I haven't worn boots since my dad put me in boots when I was 16 for a backpacking trip in Maine, right? Um, I believe, a couple reasons, I believe like having your ankle free helps actually build those muscles for having like whole body stability. Um, I think that for me personally and with former students it's been a trend as well that like foot care is a lot more easy to just have less friction a shoe that breathes better. Um, I think that when the shoes get wet it's easier to just like have a sneaker type fabric rather than like a big clunky boot. And I think that you actually have better awareness of where your feet are because there's less clunk between your the sole of your actual foot and the ground. Um All that said, I haven't walked across the country, so but it seems like people like to wear trail runners. And then, for me, I go back and forth generally between trail runners and like a runnable approach shoe, and that kind of just depends on the sole. Like, if I want more of a sticky sole for traveling more on rock, then I use the more, like, La Sportiva. La Sportiva makes some really light, like, meshy approach shoes that you could run in. And then I also like the Ultra Superiors. Um, And I, when I do run, run in those and backpack in those.
2: Got it. I love that you cited foot awareness. Oh, good. Of, <laughs> of awareness. That's a good one.
3: So those are some points for sanity, I'm guessing.
2: <laughs> well, not quite, but I liked it. I liked it. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number three, when it comes to your shelter out there, tent, tarp, hammock, bivy, or hey, let's just cowboy camp.
3: Okay. Um. Let's say we'll start with never a hammock. Um. Really weird body position there. And you need trees um they have
2: not they have not invented a trekking pole hammock yet that i'm aware of yeah
3: thank goodness (laughs) um the and then the next answers like there's no one blanket answer and that is because it is like climate dependent it goes back to that like kit being light and appropriate for what you're doing like my favorite is to just bivy and cowboy camp um i don't do that if there's like a likelihood of significant precipitation um cuz ultimately like back to the sleeping bag thing like you're just not going to sleep if you're just sleeping out and getting poured on um and I don't carry a bivy with like a hoop and things i just carry a sack um but like in the southwest it's amazing cuz you get to see amazing stars and snakes and scorpions are not as big of a deal as people think they are as far as sleeping goes um the next option would And again, kind of depending on, like, what there are for trees and what wind situation might look like. Either a tarp or, like, a mid-style shelter that would involve one pole and um, some either rocks or stakes. But bodiless, floorless, that. And then beyond that, like, I really only take a tent in winter environments like full snow, winter camping. Um and then I went to Australia and that's where the snakes and spiders and bugs are more of a problem. And everyone was like, you need to be in a tent. Like you have to have a zipper to block things out. And I was like, okay, so I brought a tent. But otherwise I don't.
2: Yeah, I think like eight of the ten deadliest snakes in the world live in Australia. And the size of their spiders is just freakishly large.
3: Yeah. I was glad to have a tent there. Um but I don't. And I should also add the disclaimer, that like I don't do much in the northeast or Midwest or like places that are super buggy. But I, I think there's a great case for like a bot, a tent body with mesh to, again, just be able to sleep so that you're not getting eaten by midges or mosquitoes all the time. But great. yeah, Intermountain West, all the air.
2: <laughs> all right. Question number four, when it comes to sleeping, do you have a sleeping bag or a quilt?
3: i use a sleeping bag um i have used an elephant's foot with a down jacket quite a bit um but that would just be like what is that should i explain that
2: yeah what's an elephant's foot that's i i swear that's the first time i've ever heard that term
3: oh funny other than the
2: usual term like it belonging to an elephant i I assume that's (laughs) what you're talking about
3: it's not it doesn't involve killing elephants no one people shouldn't be doing that um an elephant's foot is just like a sleeping bag that comes up to your waist or your belly button and so it would overlap with a it would pair with a down jacket and so it's in my mind it's kind of like a quilt because it's more minimal than a sleeping bag but it actually has the tube shape of a sleeping bag and so you actually have that like confined warmth um, insulative quality of that but you need the the down jacket to go with it to make it complete and a lot of them like the one I have has like a little windbreaker, like the Patagonia Houdini jacket. It's that material that's sewn into the elephant's foot that you can pull up over you. So
2: Got it. Now I'm I'm a little nervous. If I go onto Amazon and I type in elephant's foot, I'm I'm worried about <laughs> what, what might come up.
3: Yeah, you might need to add like alpine climbing <laughs> or something like that.
2: <laughs> All right. Question number five. When it comes to food out there. You bring a stove, do you cold soak or do you go stoveless?
3: I don't cold soak. I've tried that and just haven't been super psyched on it. Um, Generally I bring a stove and that's mostly because I love coffee. And then I'm like, well, if I'm bringing a stove, like I might as well make hot water for dinner as well. Um, I have done like for us, a long bikepacking trip is the great divide mountain bike route, which was Canada, Mexico. And I've ridden that without a stove. Um, and that is its own fun experience, you know, but gen- I generally prefer a white stove. And if we want to talk about stoves, I like both alcohol stoves and like the more pocket rocket style. And I think it just generally depends on uh, fuel availability and what I'm trying to do. So,
2: you know, we, we haven't done a, 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 any kind of discussion. I'm trying to think back on, on previous episodes. I don't think we've done much of a discussion on the difference between uh, stoves out there. And you, huh. you, you just mentioned, you know, natural alcohol or versus versus like a canister. Do you, want, yeah. you, you care to explain the difference between those two for our, our novice listeners out there who are maybe getting into outdoor uh, adventure life?
3: Yeah, totally. So the kind of standard camp stoves that are sold as like backpacking stoves and bikepacking stoves out there are generally canister stoves in North America. And so they run on isobutane um, and they... The cool thing, about like, they can be really small, like, fit smaller than a fist, um, and they generally boil water super fast or really fuel efficient in above freezing conditions. Um, and, yeah, I think the, like, efficiency and, like, ease of use is a pro. They're just really easy and quick. Um, you get a boil within, like, three minutes, if that. And so... The uh, the challenge with them is that isobutane canisters are one size. So as you use fuel, the canister doesn't get any smaller, and then you have this canister that's em- they're somewhat challenging to monitor the quantity of fuel you have because they're uh they're dark, they're not see through. Um,
2: opaque. they're
3: opaque. That would be the word. Thank you. Was like, is, it's like what is The that?
2: general the general method for determining how much fuel is left: so you pick up the can and you kind of shake it right totally
3: yeah you're like is it it (laughs) helpful what am i I hearing yeah Yeah. exactly and then they also especially on these longer trips where you'd be resupplying you kind of need like a gear store to be able to buy them like they're harder to like they're you're not going to really find them in most hardware stores or grocery stores or at pharmacies And then the other challenge with it is that you can't fly with them. Um, And so if you're traveling internationally, then fuel becomes a whole other issue. And they're even less common of a fuel in outdoor stores in a lot of other countries. Um, And so then the alcohol stove just... And Doc, you're probably going to have to correct me on the exact type of alcohol it is. But it's basically just like pure alcohol. Like 98% or something higher. It's like jet fuel is the best. And you can buy alcohol stoves. Like, uh, the one I use is a Trangia and it's super, really simple. Very durable. Like, there's nothing really to break unless you like, smashed it with a hammer which hopefully you're not doing that to your stove. Um, you just pour the fuel in and then there's like, a little chamber and you light it and it just sewers. And the, they take longer to boil. It's like a less strong, um, flame. Because it's not really pressurized in the same way as the isobutane. Um, But the cool thing is that you just like pour in, like depending on the size of the stove, you have a few ounces of fuel that you can burn and that's enough for like a boil or two. And then you pack it away and you can store your fuel in like a Gatorade bottle or anything that is basically going to seal and not leak. And you're not actually accidentally going to drink out of it. <laughs> that's
2: right. Don't, don't make that mistake.
3: Yeah, do not because it is clear. Alcohol um, is just clear, so it could look like water. Um,
2: and Kate, so- while you were while you were explaining that, I, did, I used the power of go- the Google and looked up. It's denatured alcohol, totally. which, is basically denatured. Et- which is basically ethanol that has some additives in it uh, to make it uh, poisonous, bad tasting, foul smelling, or nauseating to discourage <laughs> to discourage recreational consumption. So yeah, yeah, don't you shouldn't you shouldn't make that mistake of of uh, drinking it by accident.
3: Totally. But the cool thing with it is, like, you can go to into a hardware store, just buy denatured alcohol. You can go into a pharmacy in other countries, and you can buy like the highest quant, like level of alcohol in their uh, pharmacy, and it might not burn as well, but it burns. And so, and then, and you generally can buy it in like pretty reasonable quantities, like a liter, and so um, or less. And so it's really convenient for these really long trips that resupply in smaller communities or international. Um, and the main thing with the alcohol stoves is that like, it's just that slower cook time. And so in, at least in my experience, like not cooking directly on the stove and just boiling water and um, having instant meals is great, but they're awesome. They're so simple and they're really small. So.
2: AB, hey, that was a very thorough discussion. Of the different yeah. types of stoves out there, you just got a couple of points back. So thank you. Thanks. All right, question number six, I believe, is life better above or below the tree line? And is that <laughs> denatured alcohol you're drinking out of that uh, <laughs> jar there?
3: I'm drinking water with a little bit of electrolytes. <laughs> okay. Um, above tree line, yeah. I love the alpine.
2: You know, funny enough, that is the correct answer, but you lose points. Because you well, know, you're, you're no, a little bit crazy to say that, right? I mean, it's
3: yeah, I know.
2: <laughs> All right, question number seven. Last question What's more important out there, pack weight or luxury items?
3: So, uh, I think pack weight. My idea of luxury items are like that trucker hat. <laughs> um, yeah, I think pack weight.
2: So, are you one of those people that cuts the excess straps off of your bag?
3: I would do that, um, but partly more because I really don't like dangly things. <laughs> I want it to be felt. So, right.
2: only stud earrings, then, right?
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, well, that's different. That's oh, okay, got it. Like, sometimes some flair. <laughs> um yeah i would say like i'm not as hardcore about the weight thing as everyone but like yeah i've cut my toothbrush in half and
2: that was my next question
3: (laughs) right but like it doesn't i don't have to you know and i think it's it i think it is a fine line like I i was talking about the importance of like a sleeping bag that is warm and functional like i want my kit to be serving what i'm trying to do not just to weigh nothing
2: got it all right well that concludes the hiking pool KB, I need you to stand by because this English teacher, this former English teacher is now going to do some math. We're going to put your answers through the the hiking trash radio, hiker trash radio algorithm. Uh, I got to carry the four. We're going to divide by pi and multiply that by root five. And we're going to make a a slight adjustment for your abnormally high level of foot awareness. And I (laughs) come up with a score of 47.
3: Okay, great. Just below
2: 50. Just south of the midline. That's right.
3: Time to improve in either direction.
2: (laughs) And, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, as we continue the interview tonight, that score has a chance to fluctuate up or down depending on on how how it goes. Okay. All right. Great. Are you satisfied with that score?
3: Yeah. I mean, given that I don't actually know what the actual goal is for the score, that sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) In the middle. (laughs)
2: <laughs> south of the middle all right hey uh before we get too far down the trail let's back up a little bit we'd love to hear about your background growing up uh what kinds of sports and hobbies you played as a kid and how did you get involved in the biking cult
3: okay <clears throat> um so all of that one
2: go all of that that's just one okay. question for you.
3: yeah cool um as a kid, I spent a lot of time outside. My family was into day hiking, the more clean version, uh, less smelly. Um, right,
2: good smelling day hikers like out there.
3: Canoeing. I'm from the Northeast, so it was a lot of like Maine, New Hampshire type, um, a lot of below tree line. There isn't much above tree line, um, a little bit. Um, and I grew up riding horses as well, which... May not seem this way, but at least in the Northeast, like, riding horses was one way to move through landscape and be outside and connect with the natural world. Um, and there was, like, the trail riding element of that was my favorite part of it. And I think that's what kept me in it. And skiing was also a big part of our life. And so then I went um when i was 17 well i graduated from high school early mostly because not because i was exceptionally smart but i was motivated enough to get out of high school and figured out how to just graduate with everything i needed and i had a year off um which i was training horses and i went on a Knowles patagonia mountaineering course as a 17 year old um down in chile in patagonia um
2: Now, KB, if you you, if you're going to try and tell me that you graduated early because of your exceptional uh, intelligence, I was going to just say just point out that's counterintuitive to the to a score of 47 on the hiking pool.
3: So, right, Right. but just motivated to do something different was the reason. Um, and so I did that, and that was like at that point I'd been on some overnight backpacking trips and overnight canoe trips, but that was my first like true wilderness month-long experience um and that just <clears throat> completely i mean in retrospect as cheesy it is i'm like i think that probably changed my life because i got to see this wild landscape that was being impacted by climate and got to live with like my Knowles instructors were the ultimate dirt bags they were teaching mountaineering courses to other students and living out of their van or duffel bag and And a lot of it just really spoke to me. And so I ended up going to the University of Vermont, focusing on the outdoor recreation program that they had. And then that transitioned into transferring to a small college in Arizona called Prescott College, uh, which might be the center of the universe for college student dirtbags and majoring in outdoor leadership. And I started working for Outward Bound and then Knowles. And so at that point, I was one of those people living out of my truck in my backpack and um, going from field course to field course and then finding public lands to camp and recreate on in between, which at the time was mostly climbing um, and trail running um, In as far as my free time went. And at some point after I had graduated and I was just working full time um, in the field, I Broke my ankle climbing, um, as climbers do. <laughs> Very common, especially bouldering. And one of the first things I was allowed to do outside after the surgery was to ride a bike. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll ride a bike then because not going to be able to climb for a long time. It doesn't seem like running is in the immediate future. And so I got on a bike and then pretty quickly I realized I was like, oh, if I just brought my like light overnight kit that I would bring backpacking on my bike, then I could take my bike on multiple days and I could go a lot further than I can go on foot. And so I did that. I literally packed my, the time I had a wild things and that was 50 liters. And so I packed that as light as I could. And I put it on my back and I rode my mountain bike on the coca Pelle trail. Um, Which first of all, if you're listening and you've never been bike packing, do not just carry your overnight backpack. On your bike, your hands and your ass will be so mad, <laughs> and you'll probably feel really top heavy. <laughs> and now, in 2023, uh there are way better ways to do this, and there weren't. There were better ways in 2011. I just I didn't know about them. um Is at the time I, yeah, just lived in my own world. I didn't have a smartphone. And just like, oh, I could just make up a new genre of an activity, but it turns out other people were doing it too. Um. And so that then, but that was pretty addicting because I was like, well, I just rode 130 miles in two and a half days. That's farther than, like, I would walk. Um, And I, my boyfriend at the time had wanted to ride the Great Divide mountain bike route. And I'm like, sure, that sounds great. I can do that. Um, So we got the proper bags and rode from Mexico to Canada on that route, taking a month. And, yeah, we didn't bring stove and we must have brought a shelter. I feel like we didn't. If we, but I, we must have had a tarp. But I just don't think we ever set it up. Um, and that turned into just finding a way of moving in across the landscape that really suited my personality and my body. Um, I had always struggled; like my knees and hips would struggle whenever I tried to run more than like thirty miles, and. It was different than what I was doing for work. And so it felt like a really exciting thing to be doing with my off time. And that led to bikepacking around the world and founding a nonprofit and then having a job as a professional athlete, as a mountain biker and bikepacker. So that's the super accelerated version, but that's what has happened in the last like 20 years.
2: In a nutshell, right there. Yep. (laughs) And do you have any siblings, Kate? Yeah, I have a brother have a brother. Is he also in, involved in the outdoor industry?
3: Yeah. He, um, is also a whitewater kayaker. Um, so less sane, <laughs> um, in skis and mountain bikes and fly fishes. Yeah. He's into that stuff.
2: Got it. Got it. Now I, I always find it very intriguing how the course of our lives hinge on very specific random moments sometimes. Ooh. And if not for those moments, you, you could be in a completely different place. I could be in a very different place, right? But but for this one thing that happened that kind of shifted our trajectory, that's just fascinating.
3: I mean, you, yeah, you can't plan for it. It's not like you're like, okay, I'm going to break my ankle and then find a different sport, <laughs> right?
2: That's right. That's right. Or like I'm going to meet
3: this person who just happens to introduce me to like this other way of doing things and this other person who then will give me this other opportunity, you know? It's crazy.
2: Yep, I was talking to a guy who was on his way to being a world cl- class world class triathlete, and mm-hmm. he was a teacher, and he was uh, late for a board meeting he was supposed to present at, and got into a single vehicle car accident where he went through the windshield, mm-hmm. and ended up doing enough damage to his knee that you know that was not a possibility anymore, and so he became a peak bagger, and then quickly I. I'm not sure if he's the fastest to collect 100 FKTs, but he's got a you know more than 100 FKTs under his belt now. I mean, yeah. just weird random stuff that happens. Totally. Yep.
3: That's crazy.
2: All right, hey, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from the sponsors, pay some bills, and when we come back. We're going to get into some more of uh, the nitty gritty of your your past and more more recent adventures. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years, This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at JollyGear.com. hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. And welcome back. We're talking to Kate Boyle, a.k.a. KB, a.k.a. KB Dot. The
1: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: And just heard uh, some great information in the first segment. I want to come back to, to one piece. You didn't really gloss over it, but I, I want a little more information. What do you do as a field instructor at a college? I mean, what, what kinds of activities are you doing out there in the field?
3: Yeah, so in the college setting, it was teaching other college students who are learning how to become field instructors the leadership and educational and technical skills that they needed to be effective uh, outdoor educators in their future. When you're actually in the role of a field instructor in the outdoor education role um, for students in a format like Knowles or Outward Bound, your role is to like facilitate a uh, leadership-building career, uh, sorry, not career, but character-building experience that ideally gives people that sort of life experience that connects them to the natural world, builds their own confidence, helps them develop more self-awareness, um, just a lot of very transferable life skills into whatever it is they go on to next, which it could be anything from Something related to the outdoors to like being a banker, you know, like the skills that we teach are lifelong human skills um, that serve people well beyond that course. So and it all the model is that you travel as a small group, you know, small being like anywhere from like six to 15 people in an expedition, in an expeditionary setting. And so you leave the front country and you go and you are moving in a self-sufficient way in whatever um, medium that is, whether it's whitewater rafting or back- backcountry skiing or backpacking or climbing. Um, and through working towards that shared goal of the expedition, you're working as a team to overcome problems and to practice leadership and to develop um, all the skills necessary to achieve that goal.
2: I now regret some of my life choices. I should have been a field instructor.
3: You still can. It's <laughs> not too late? No, not too late. I mean, it's common for field instructors to be younger because you know, it's generally lower paying and it's not super conducive to like the standard modern life of like sleeping in your own bed every night, um spending every day with your partner, but it is I think the best field instructors are those with a lot of life experience. And I think it's a sweet way to spend a lot of time in the outdoors because you get to just share all these skills and in incredible places with other people.
2: JB, yeah, did you just call me old?
3: No, I said that there's a lot of time in your future to make a decision.
2: Sound like you said I had, I had a lot of life experience.
3: Well, more than a 20 year old.
2: <laughs> a lot more, a lot more yeah. than a 20 year old. So <laughs> all right. Fantastic. Um, you know, before we, we uh started tonight, we, we exchanged some notes as to what we may talk about. And one of the things that I I'm not sure you gave me a lot of explanation in the notes on this. And so I'm I'm really interested to hear about what I have in my notes is just the car accident.
3: Oh what's yeah.
2: Going on, what's going on there?
3: Yeah, so I think
2: This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by
1: Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
3: Okay, the thing to frame the car accident around is a little bit of background about what was going on in my life right beforehand. So I think a car accident is, can be serious regardless. And the context for why my car accident has been, been significant in my life and through being able to share about it um, with my communities, I know it's been impactful for other people, was that so in 2018, I had quit my job as a field instructor um, and decided that I was going to try to make it as a professional athlete that was dedicated to showing the world that women were as capable as men in endurance sports um that you're unlimited and to advocate for the places that we ride through the landscapes that don't have a voice and so i went out to the 24 hours of world of old pueblo in february down in arizona which is a lap race at 16 miles and the goal is to do as many laps on your mountain bike as you can in 24 hours And I did 18, which turned out to be around 300 miles um, and set a new course record for women. Um, And generally that amount of laps would be some, would be on, it's pretty much always would be on the podium with the men. And in some years that could win the men's race. And so that felt good. (laughs) And that earned me an invitation to the 24-hour world championships as well. But first I had this other goal and that was to, race and set a course record on the arizona trail uh 300 and so there's a kind of underground mountain bike race on the arizona trail same trail that the hikers hike except we have to detour around the wilderness areas um and there's a race for the first 300 miles it ends at picket post and then there's a race across the whole state and as someone who likes sleep i'm not really into the like week plus long races that like lael does because I'd rather just not sleep for a night or two and then be done than like sleep for two hours or three hours a night for a week or two. That sounds horrible to me. That's like negative seventy-five points on the insanity score.
2: Um I like, I like it. You you were gonna apply the the uh the the hiking pool to all all facets of your life. People you come in contact yeah. with you're gonna be scoring them uh without their totally. help yes
3: yeah so i don't know what just riding through two nights without sleeping would equate to but that's what i did for the arizona trail 300 and i finished in 51 hours technically 50 hours and 50 minutes ish um and that at the time was the fourth fastest ride ever by anyone the there had been three men who had done it around 46 to 48 hours and then then there's my time And I took 11 hours off the women's record. Wow. um, Who was also a very accomplished female bike pack racer. And so I was like on my mission of like, okay, this is happening. I am proving to people that you're unlimited and women can race with the best men in the world. in these like ultra endurance formats where there's a lot more than like just your physical ability. Because for especially the Arizona trail race, like that's self-supported. Like you start and you, no one can, bring you water no one can bring you food you just resupply on your own if you have a mechanical you fix it um all that and carry your own gear and so then um in october i went to the 24-hour world championships in scotland and it and i went kind of as the I wouldn't say, like, underdog, but people weren't expecting me to do particularly well, I think. Like, I hadn't raced in that environment before. Um, like, the Scotland's basically the opposite of Arizona. <laughs> um, and hadn't been to that series before. And so it started raining, like, an hour before the race, and it rained for all the way up until an hour after the race. And... It was just torrential and it was in the Scottish Highlands. And so we'd climb up above tree line. It would just be like raining really hard sideways. And we would descend back down into like the really wet woods and I'd go through my pit. These are supported races and just resupply. And I remember thinking like, you know, this could suck, but actually like this is way easier than taking care of like 12 other students in this weather. Is I just have to get myself around this lap and then I go back and I get to like have a shot of espresso and some hot soup and like change my shoes and then keep going. And I won that race. And so I became the 24 hour world champion and then. That's, had that's,
2: a- that's, hang on, hang on, KB. Let's not gloss over this. That's so impressive. Congratulations. What an accomplishment. Thank um, you. How, how big was the, 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 the course that you, you rode, rode around for 24 hours.
3: If I remember right, I think that one was about eight miles, maybe 10, but it had a lot more climbing. Um, and so it was taking about an hour, a little over an hour. So it actually had a similar time for each lap as the old Pueblo course. It was just a much slower course. It was a lot more technical, which was awesome because it's engaging and that's, it's mountain biking. It should be hard. (laughs) So.
2: right and doing it for 24 hours i mean that is pretty formidable um yes. with any formidable challenge in our lives you know i think the best way to approach it is to break it into smaller achievable chunks mm-hmm. is that is that how you approach it i mean you're just taking it one lap at a time or one totally. lap at a time how does that work
3: yeah you just break it down and so for trace. i would break it down a bit by a bit like you don't want there to be too many right Because otherwise suddenly you're like, am I on chunk number 20 (laughs) or is it 23? Because then suddenly that like cues in like that sense of time piece. And so the goal with breaking it down is to like just give yourself something that you can focus on. And then you check that off and you move on to the next one. So you're not ever thinking, wow, the finish line is 300 miles away. Like no one will get there if that's at least I won't get there if that's the way you approach it. So I tend to break it down by something that'll be around the two or three hour realm and so that might be like um marked by when i switch bikes or marked by when i'm refilling on food or marked by like it's been two laps or three laps and then and that's like that chapter of that race and then you move on to the next one or sometimes it's like Uh, with the transition between day and night, you know, you're like, okay, it's going sunset is this time. So that's the end of a chapter. And now you're starting into the first night chapter. (laughs) So, but yeah, that is a huge, it's good insight. And it's very true that that's like a key strategy for getting through those.
2: And I also like that you kind of, your frame of mind in some, in, in an endurance contest like that is so important right mm-hmm. you could have gone into it and said oh it's it's pouring this is going to be miserable this is going to suck and it 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 just does cuz that's what you're expecting but totally. instead you framed it as well you know at least i don't have 15 people i have to look after in this kind yeah. of weather it's just me and i'm just riding a bike i mean let's make the best of it here yeah kind of a more positive outlook and that paid off
3: yeah and this i'm not going to give it away fully cuz this t- ties into that hiking hack but um
2: Oh, be careful for this.
3: Be careful. I'm not giving it away. But for this event, I wrote, Um, I had a mantra and it was, wet isn't a mindset, but happiness is. So.
2: Nice. Nice. Okay. Now, I assume this is all leading up to the car accident. Oh, right. We're still in the context part, right? Yeah. Context part. Yeah. So
3: that's the end of October. So the end of the year, very soon. It's for cyclists, generally like a time to take it easy recover like we take a off season the holidays come and then you start to like work towards your goals for the next year um and so i was doing that and in this context of like i need i quit my job to race my bike and like be a backcountry mountain biker i also needed to like still piece together some things and so um i had a couple winter like backcountry ski knolls courses lined up for the winter because that was an easy time to like just not be on my bike and go be in the field. And so that first one was starting at the end of December. So I spent, um, and that was in the Tetons. And so I was spending Christmas in the Tetons because I had to start work like two days later. And on Christmas Eve, I was driving um, from Driggs, Idaho, south toward Victor, Idaho, which is only eight miles down a very straight, very flat classic Idaho Valley road. Um, like nothing varies from the straightness and the flatness of this road. And it had been kind of like sleeting and then cooled off a little bit. It should have been snowing, but it was kind of sleeting, cooled off. And so there wasn't snow on the road. Um, but turns out there was black ice and I was driving along and, uh, my boyfriend. So
2: so you're driving, you're not biking, you're driving.
3: No, yeah, I'm driving. My, my little coma and, my boyfriend will was on the phone on the like speaker thing and was talking to him. He was having uh, Christmas in Memphis and all of a sudden just like in this straight line, my rear wheels just slid and went sideways. And I started just like fish channeling at like 45 miles an hour on this highway. And I was very much like in the other lane and, and the oncoming car swerved into my lane to try to avoid me as I'm coming straight at them. And then my car just slid completely out of control back into the other lane. In mid-spin, they T-boned me going about 55 miles an hour in my driver's side door. And somehow I never lost consciousness and I came to a stop and opened my eyes and felt this burning sensation in my pelvis and I couldn't feel my legs. And so I was like, holy shit, I, I could be paralyzed. Like I can't feel my legs. And in that moment I was, I thought back to all the ultra endurance racing uh, mindset stuff. And I was like, well, I kind of have two choices right now. And that's to either freak out because I might never walk and bike again, or it's to just like stay calm and breathe. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what i did and slowly and now like over the span of hours i'm like stuck in my car um the paramedic like broke through the window and got in into the car with me and like hooked me up to morphine and i long story short, i an- ended up in the icu that night um they did immediate um emergency surgery because i had ruptured my bladder And so they thought they had to do a surgery on it. Turns out they didn't, but they did pull out every single organ out of my stomach uh, to check it. So they, and they were very pleased. They're like, Oh, everything's in good shape. I was like, all right, this
2: is like, they pulled it out held it up to the light. Looked at it. uh, Yeah, Seriously. That that looks good. Yikes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So then in the morning I learned on Christmas morning, um my parents arrived from new hampshire will flew back from memphis i had a friend had kind of escorted had shepherded me through this whole thing um she had arrived on the car accident scene because will thought i was dead that's the other thing is everyone should remember is like he had been on the phone he heard this crash and then sirens and so he for maybe 20 or 30 minutes didn't know if i was alive and so i learned on christmas morning that I had quadruple fractured my pelvis. So your pelvis is a ring. And I had broken it in four places. <laughs> and I'd broken my sacrum. um, And my. It was either my tibia or my fibula. My leg. But that was pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. Um, And because of the ruptured bladder. Surgery was like pretty challenging. Because they were worried about bone infection. And so I ended up maybe a week later. Still in the hospital. I got surgery to stabilize my pelvis and i got an external fixator which if you've never seen one you should google it it's crazy but you basically get like a towel rack screwed into your pel your hip bones to like br- clamp your pelvis externally in place i'll include pictures of mine in these photos i'll send you after this but it was crazy and and the biggest gift of that day was my surgeon was like or of christmas day was my to be surgeon i was like all right well you can have a full recovery, and I was like, "Like twenty four hour racing? That's what I do. <laughs> like I want to ride my bike all day for multiple days." And he was like, "What?" He seemed to think that was maybe crazy, but he was like, "Well, I think you'll be able to do that."
2: <laughs> you see the look on his face. Yeah, yeah, that that's a bit odd, but it's it, it, <laughs> like the thing. If that's the thing, like,
3: no one's ever asked him if you can do that. If you can do that after you break your pelvis, but he was like, "I don't see why not." <laughs> um. And so, yeah, that started down this whole road of recovering from that, um, which, you know, it's just a lot more than bones healing, it's like healing from a super traumatic injury. And I had an incredible recovery. I was back on my bike within 12 weeks, maybe 16, something like that. Was it tough?
2: Um, was it tough riding with that towel rack uh, bolted in? <laughs>
3: Yeah, so I got, and I th- actually think this is what, one of the reasons my surgery, my recovery was so successful, was I got myself, I learned how to get on from my wheelchair onto my bike on a trainer with the XFix, And it wasn't super comfortable, but I was able to move my legs. And being in a XFix, you can only sit or lay down on your back. Like, you can't lay on your side, you can't lay on your stomach, and you definitely can't walk. And so... I think actually in retrospect, even though no one was like, Oh, you should get on your bike. I I was just so like, I was like, I have to move. And I think that actually that like circulation was one of the things that really helped the recovery. So, so yeah, long story short. Um, I now have just, I have a few sacrum, So I have two pretty long, like six to eight inch screws through my sacrum. Um, which do, has impacted my like post car accident career. But I've since retired from ultra endurance racing. Um, mostly because I want to be able to have a healthy body that can still backpack and ski and ride my bike when I'm in my seventies with Will, because we're married now.
2: Oh, uh, I, I was waiting to see how that turned out. I wanted to ask, Hey, is the guy sitting on the other side of the closet door? Is that Will? Yeah, tell me that's, tell me that's Will.
3: It is, yep, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, and I think, like anything where you know earlier you talked about how like just a single thing can really change things, and a lot- a lot of the times we like to celebrate the things that you know they're like this thing changed, then my life changed, and it was amazing, and I think, for me, like over the course of over four years, that car accident was has been this thing that like continues to like slightly redirect my course in a way that prior to that car accident was not what I was envisioning for my life. Like I was envisioning like set like setting overall records and in and I think in that recovery and now realizing like how I am not just limited by my body, but like how I want to take care of it. Like I'm focused on other things that are more important to me now.
2: Right. Right. So you were a climber and you you broke your ankle and shifted direction, <laughs> right, to, to kind of long distance endurance events. And then the car accident comes and that shifts you a little bit more to now backcountry mountain biker.
3: Yes. And I would like for that trend to end. I don't want to break more bones to have life directions changing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like in that recovery, you know, when you when your body is in a place that it wasn't before. And for me, when I was faced with like that reality of knowing, like I might not ever be in the same physical place that I was, or even mental, like I might not ever want to put myself into like intentionally into that level of pain of ultra racing because my, I've already been through a lot, you know? And on one hand, like the pain of traumatic injury, like reframes what is actually painful. And then on the other hand, sometimes you're like, you know, life is too short to like, I just want to be in awe and have a lot of fun <laughs> you know and like have like that joy piece and so like what continued to come back to me from that moment in the car accident where i was sitting in the car and wondering if i was paralyzed was just, just like okay if i'm not paralyzed And even if I am, I'll find a different way to do this. But if I'm not paralyzed, what I want to do with my able body is to be in these amazing places that are ultimately the reason that I ride my bike, the reason that I walk and hike and ski and used to climb and to try to have my career have a positive impact on those places. And so that's what's led to like being on the Protect Our Winners Athlete Alliance and trying to use my... The platform I have and the resources and opportunities I have to have bike oriented projects that are also serving this bigger purpose of trying to harness like the outdoor state. All you people who squirrel suit fly and whitewater kayak and ski and through hike like to use the power that you have in a vote or in engaging in your communities to have political action for climate um, advocacy and then with the trails piece like there's just no way around that for me like and i don't know if i ever really clarified this but like i will ride on the road and but i'd so much rather ride on trail because that's like the place that's how you get into the mountains you know that's how i get to be above tree line and that's where i get to feel that flow state and that like most True connection of myself to the earth that I'm moving through. And so the trail advocacy piece is like working with the nonprofits in my communities or on trails that have mattered, been hugely impactful in my life, like the Arizona Trail, knowing that like it's not just me who is benefiting from those experiences, um, but it can be anyone who sets foot or horse or bike or whatever else maybe moto <laughs> um on on that trail and they get to have their path and that could be for them that thing in, that turns into a different direction in their life or an aha moment or just like a really meaningful day with a friend or um a moment where you're like oh wow like i am unlimited and so i've been trying to spend a lot more of my time trying to make sure that those like backcountry trails are recognized as valuable and like our access as mountain, as mountain bikers are, is is maintained in responsible ways and things like that.
2: That's, that's absolutely great. Um, give us a snapshot of, um, backcountry mountain biking in its current format with you.
3: Yeah. So the snapshot of, I mean, I think for everyone, like what is the backcountry is very subjective. Like it kind of depends on Your perspective of like what is wild you know and like what is far from the trailhead and so i think for me like what makes backcountry mountain biking backcountry is that it takes you places that are farther from just like that most known more traveled more populated locations like into the places that are less known it's suddenly feels a bit more adventurous there's like that uncertainty piece i think that like Uncertainty and like the challenge that comes with that is hugely what shapes the feeling of adventure and like backcountry experiences for me and that sense of wildness, you know, like backcountry mountain biking is not purpose built, although that can be fun riding and it's not like there aren't perfect trail signs at every junction. Like you need to be having that awareness of the landscape and be navigating and like paying attention, you know, like being prepared for whatever elements that you face and like i think it's probably easier and i think ultra runners would probably disagree because they run really far in a day but like it's probably easier on a bike to have that back experience in a day because you can just inevitably travel farther than on foot but i think that it's a very shared experience of like once you're out there you're like oh i'm out here and you can definitely get that on foot like to, just depending on where you're going like i think that's in a way for Like wilderness advocates, I think that's like what the, a lot of the, um, appeal is, you know, it's like being able to have that experience. And so with like bikes, we don't get the capital W wilderness experience, but there's a lot of landscape that like, you can have the lowercase w wilderness experience. Um, so yeah,
2: the the lowercase wilderness experience. Nice. Yeah. We've, we've talked a lot on the podcast about how, um, outdoors is for everybody, inclusivity, Um, and I, I think I am now I'm, it's, it's like a light bulb going off of my, uh, over my head, in my head that not just inclusivity for all types of people, but for all types of activities, right? I mean, it's, it's implied with the, with the different types of people that I've talked to, but I think to really put a a fine point on it, it's, it's not just for through hikers. It's, it's, it's for bike packers. It's for mountain bike, uh, mountain bikers, uh, squirrel suit flyers, uh, yeah, a whole lot.
3: Yeah. And I think that like the challenge that we have in land management and in advocacy is just like remembering that like there is space for everyone. It's just like, how do you create like a piece of a pie for everyone where you can have that experience and it not be um too Im- impacted by other people's ways of having their experiences? You know, like. And I think that's where like all different designations come in and. But And, like, I think that, especially in that, like, post-COVID world, it seems like a lot of outdoor communities are seeing this, like, an influx of people, and that brings up a really important conversation, and it can be difficult, you know, when we're, like, used to the places that we know having a certain number of people, and then suddenly there are more, it's like, so how do you have an opportunity for everyone, and also preserve the opportunity for everyone to have the like experiences of solitude or quiet or wildness you know because I I think for a lot of us those qualities are like just even the ability to like be somewhere that's remote and just have the risk of being remote you know and they're not being self-service <laughs> like I think a lot of us value that
2: yes absolutely and 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 maintaining that balance of all of those purposes, uh, is a, sounds like a, a fine balancing act. Totally. Yeah. Well, KB
3: the things I think about now
2: <laughs> KB what, what is the next big adventure for you? What's on the horizon?
3: Yeah. So the next big thing, um, that's a good question. Well, the first, the big thing this year has been getting married and my partner and I got to go, uh elope in the tetons and we ski traversed across the range self-supported in the winter which was pretty awesome and this summer is what every
2: every girl dreams about uh when she's (laughs) younger that that kind of honeymoon that's what everyone
3: every girl dreams about (laughs) that's right um and like for me summer in the tetons is really special it's very short and i just love it and so i think that like because so much of the year it's under snow a, it's not a big adventure but the adventure that keeps me trying to stay home as I can through the summer is just like wanting to go back to those wild places on my bike that I haven't seen now since September which is like nine months you know and it's like visiting old friends um but the on like a more multi day adventure facet my teammate uh it is this guy Kurt Snyder, who's also a bike pack racer and former um, ultra Endurance legend guy. And he um, is bikepacking the Continental Divide Trail. The CDT, as you all know it as. <laughs> and in the bikepacking world, the Great Divide mountain bike route is like the CDT version for bikepacking, but it's all pretty much dirt road. And so it's inspired by the CDT, but it's not the CDT. It's not single track. And so he's going to ride the CDT with creating as many trail wilderness detours as he can along the way and there are only three other people that we know that are known to have ridden the CDT um, ever which is pretty wild and the cool thing about it is like, the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail are close to bikes entirely um, even in the non-wilderness sections and so for us the CDT is like the one kind of iconic long distance trail that we could have access to or we do have access to right now um obviously outside of the wilderness areas and it's long and so he's riding the whole thing it'll take him like three or four months and so i'm gonna ride the colorado section with him um because in that car accident prior to that car accident my next goal like biggest goal for that year which would have been 2019 was to go race the colorado trail race and set an overall record in it which i believed that I could have done and that's like letting go of a dream and I've slowly let go of that dream and so now this trip feels like a reframing like just like changing the dream and it's like now it's to go ride the continental divide trail through the Colorado Rockies with one of my best friends sleeping at night and it's gonna probably be really hard because it's always hard to ride your bike up Uh five thousand foot climbs, but I think it'll also be super fun and beautiful um and it's just it's been a while since I did a multi week trip um here in the u s so.
2: that that sounded very poetic k b you know letting go of dreams and then realizing you don't have to let go of them completely. You could just reframe the dream cool. to a certain degree.
3: Yeah, because I think that we even if, I don't think it has to take a car accident for this to happen. But I think as we grow and evolve, like we Hope just not. outgrow things we, right. like what we want to do changes because our values change. So, yeah.
2: All right. Well, best of luck on that. That sounds like a whole lot of work. And, and, and I can see the fun in your in your eyes as you talk about it. So best yeah, of luck. Yeah, we get
3: to ride downhill. <laughs>
2: nice. That's yeah. the part i did enjoy. Yeah. Hey, uh, KB, you know where we are right now?
3: Where?
0: Hiking Hacks.
2: Hmm. Hiking so, Hacks. That's right. We're at that point of the episode where you get to share some outdoor adventure wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What do you have for us?
3: Okay. Uh, two questions. One question. Can I have two answers?
2: Oh, absolutely.
3: Okay, great. So the first hiking hack, Um. this is most it's very easily applicable to a bike because we have handlebars, which like you inevitably kind of look at a lot or they're within your sight. But I think for hikers or paddlers or squirrel suit flyers or anything, skiers, there are ways around the not having the handlebar thing. But my hiking hack has to do with mindset, which I think that's like for people who are into the ultra endurance stuff, like it's a huge mental game. Like it's, that's the thing that takes the most work, at least for me, it was like figuring out the headspace in order to just like let time pass and to let go of the uncontrollable and to trust the process and to break it down and all those things. Um, and that's what got me through the car accident is having developed those skills through ultra racing. Um, And one of the things that I used to keep my kind of head game in the game was mantras written on athletic tape and taped to my handlebars. And it's not like an essay, it's just a mantra, you know, like a couple words in a little phrase. And it's like something that is going to cue you back to like your purpose and your goal and that sense of like happiness and gratitude. And one that has stuck with me is just, I get to. Cause a lot of the times we're like, oh my God, I have to do this or like, why am I here? And it's like, well, actually, I chose to do this. No one has ever made me start a race. And then with the, like, healing from a traumatic car accident that, like, pe- doctors re- really like to remind me could have killed me. It's not like, oh, my God, I am broken and I have to, like, grow all these bones back and, like, be in a wheelchair. It's I get to do this. Like, I get to do my PT take my vitamins, (laughs) lay on the couch and rest like to recover. And I think that that mindset of I get to is applicable to all sorts of challenges in life, whether they're on the trail or something that the universe threw at you. And so, but I think that like taping them somewhere that is visible and that could be like on your mirror in your bathroom or on your trekking pole, if you're a trekking pole person on the front of your kayak, like, um on your steering wheel maybe not you should look at the road but you know somewhere like that on the back of your phone um those can just be a huge resource in just like bring us back because like we all i think we all at least i definitely like go into the negative head spaces or can get bogged down by the like the thought patterns but we can actually rewire our brains to think think about things in a different light maybe so that's the first one yeah
2: Kb, you and I are kindred spirits because I use that that whole we get to, we get to with my kids, raising my kids. Oh, you know, we have to do no, no, no. We get to do this. We get to. Oh, do they're this. so we're lucky trying, to have you. Trying to reframe it like that, and you know where I'm putting my tape with my my uh, my mantra. I'm gonna yeah. put it on. I'm gonna tape it onto the the back of Chopper's hairy calves when we're out there hiking. Because that's that's what I'm looking at most often is you know we're hiking right next to each other you know I'm I'm staring down at his his calves because he's just a faster than I am so
3: you could get temporary tattoos made oh, nice. just for him
2: nice
3: like shave a little spot and be like there it is
2: <laughs> yes when I, up, when I him. woke up this morning when I woke up this morning I never dreamed that I'd be having a conversation about shaving cop, cop uh shaving chopper's calves this is awesome. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Or I don't know if y'all wear tall socks and through hiking. We were mountain biking, but like you get tall socks printed with them. (laughs) Nice. Great. And then the next one is a, just a little plug. So in 2017, um, my teammate Kurt and I founded Bikepacking Roots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit that was the, is the first or nonprofit dedicated to bikepacking and where our goal is to lower the barriers to bikepacking and advocate for the landscapes that we ride through. Um, And just today. So, and this was not planned with this podcast. It's very coincidental, but just today we released the second edition of the bikepackers guide, which we wrote back in 2014 um, as a project for a sponsor at the time. And now this time around, I just wrote this second edition of a guide to bikepacking for bikepacking routes. And in it is Like the goal of that book is to provide all the bikepacking hacks. And so whether you're a cyclist with zero backcountry overnight multi-day travel or you're a through hiker who wants to now make that transition like I did into bikepacking. Like that little guidebook is just a resource for um, finding for learning a lot of the things we learned the hard way, the easier way
2: so that's great congratulations on that just today
3: yeah just today (laughs) wow
2: yeah all right so there you have it we are just about done here hope our listeners enjoyed our time with kb want to thank her for joining this joining us this week kate how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures including the colorado trail
3: yeah so on social media i'm on instagram um I'm on, it's Kate, K-A-I-T, dot Boyle, B-O-Y-L-E. And I post, share things. Um, Sometimes I take short breaks from it because I think it's good for mental health. (laughs) And I also, I have a newsletter where I go deeper into um, just things in my life and projects I'm working on and more of the philosophical stuff that Instagram format just doesn't have as much room for. Um, and so that newsletter is available on my website. And the website is imkate.com.
2: Oh, I can remember that. Very good.
3: Yeah. No All apology. Right. <laughs>
2: remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have questions or comments uh, you want to share with me, you can send it to me at hikertrashradiogmail.com. At
0: Off the Be Impact.
2: Now, unfortunately, we can't always be on the trail. And when we're not, we need to find a way to get our adventure fixed. So, KB, I'm going to ask you to share some outdoor adventure media with our listeners to help them get by. This can be a book or a movie or a documentary. We call this segment Off the Beaten Path. Any recommendations?
3: Mm. Well, the book that I just read um, and finished last week that really stood out and I think could resonate with a lot of folks on this is called good for a girl and it's called by lauren fleshman who is a um like u.s national level track runner and she yeah it was just a really inspiring and kind of call like personal autobiography but also a call to action for just like how women uh are treated in sports and how like just how the whole world of sports brings women up
2: got it great recommendation
3: what have we not asked you
2: and before we wrap things up just one more segment for you called what have i not asked you that you're dying to tell us about what do we miss tonight
3: the only thing we missed is Hank. So Hank, Hank is my right. dog. <laughs> and he is a very good boy. He is a little three and a half year old uh, cattle dog mutt. Technically, he's Australian cattle. According to a DNA test, he's Australian cattle dog. Then Pitbull. Then Australian Shepherd. And then Chow. Chow. And then German Shepherd, Border Collie, and Pug.
2: <laughs> he's got, got a little bit of everything.
3: Yeah, but he is an amazing little trail dog and just like one of the biggest joys of my life. And I hopefully um, I have a project in the works that will hopefully get to share with the world, just like the joy that a four legged furry friend can bring to life when like there can be some heavy things in the world, you know, and whether it's overcoming a car accident or thinking about human rights (laughs) or politics or like climate like or even just like our day-to-day challenges of like oh i got in a fight with my partner but like the dog and just being like okay i'm gonna go get on my bike for hank and then seeing how happy he is it's just brings so much joy to my life
2: yeah i've heard that the the dog is the only creature on the planet that loves you more than it loves itself which uh that, that just tugs at me
3: seriously yeah amazing
2: All right. We are finished. Thank you for coming on the podcast, KB. We wish you the very best in these upcoming adventures. And we hope that you've had such a good experience tonight that you'll uh, agree to come back and share some more stories in the future.
3: Oh, I'd love to. And I'm excited to now go back, start listening, binge listening to everything that's been on here.
2: Nice. As we close up today, do you have any shout outs to friends and family? Anybody sitting on the opposite side of that door or or family Mm -hmm. or anybody else?
3: Uh. I mean, Will absolutely deserves all the thanks for um, supporting the level of whatever my score for insanity. Is that the word? Sanity Um, scale?
2: Sanity scale, 47.
3: Yeah. So he deserves all the love for supporting that. And I think the other piece of this is that like for any professional athlete, like, we just have a lot of brands that have like people behind them. They're like more than just like a, a logo who believe in like my mission and give me the opportunity to work on fulfilling it in my life. And so I'm so grateful for them. All
2: right. Hey, do you think Will would come on the podcast?
3: Yeah, share, I'm sure he would. <laughs> share, share some kayaking stories. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that would be. Don't, don't let them listen to this, but I promise I give him a lower score than 47.
3: <laughs> okay. Sounds
2: good. It'll be our secret. Nobody else. Okay.
3: Okay. Excellent. And okay. he'll be like, I got a 46. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. Well, hey, cool. thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've been riding all day with a towel rack, holding your pelvis together. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.